your political ideology is. If you profess the name of Christ, I want you to look in the mirror and be honest with the fact about whether or not you actually advocate full dignity for people who are equally made in the image of God. If yeah. you can't do that, have several seats. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But see, they're getting me fired up. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, all right, liner notes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> see how we do. See how we do it. <laughs> uh, it's like cube or higher learning. I was like, dude was like, like cube. It was, a, it was a group. Like just, Justine. It, it was a crew. When I was in undergrad, th they understood the plight, and I wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. I was one. Abdul was one of them folks. <laughs> you, you have a break, like we we celebrating basketball or something. Yes. About the plight of the brother, man. I'm like, really, man? Like, can we just like dog, it's breakfast. Right? I know. Can we got this bowl of cornflakes on me? I wish I could go back, Abdul. I think about that all the time. You know what, dog? Gabe and Gabe and um, you know, that crew and the man. Big Joel, man, um, y'all was just so knowledgeable about, you know, more than just what, what, you know, what we were existing. Like we were just mm. happy to be at Iowa State in, in college, but y'all were already having those conversations that, yes. <laughs> that we're starting to engage in now. Like, brother, see, I've been right. telling y'all that <laughs> 30, right. Y'all just catching up. <laughs> and, I man. told y'all. <laughs> Yeah. And it feels like, you know, so it, it feels. <laughs> Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. And I'm Justina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. What's good, soldiers? Welcome back. I'm Abdullah, and you can find me on IG and Twitter at that dude And you can also find the show on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier and on Instagram at Christian Soldier. So, Justine, where can people find you on social media? You can find me on Facebook. My Facebook name is Tina Akini, and my last name is spelled A-K-I-N for Nigeria, Y-I. So, soldiers, as you know, if you are a regular listener of the podcast, we typically post new episodes twice every month. So that is every other week. We made that shift in order to help make our podcast a little more sustainable, specifically long-term. With our work schedules and such, this schedule allows us to post spontaneous episodes, especially when we feel like there are some worthwhile topics that we want to discuss. And today's episode is going to be one of those spontaneous topics that we're really wanting to bring to you in a timely manner. And as many of you probably know, uh, February is Black History Month in America. So if you don't live in the United States, just that's just something to know that February is Black History Month in this side of the world. So there will likely be additional content that we're posting this month in regards to Black history. So, so in this episode, we have a guest for the conversation that we wanted to have today. Um, our guest is a man of faith. 
He is a preacher. He is a gifted Bible teacher. So when I tell you that the brother is anointed, yo, <laughs> just saying. He's been a church elder and a pastor. He's an educator. He currently serves as a director of equity of our city's school district. And he's a longtime friend of mine, a personal friend of mine for 30 years and someone that I have had the pleasure of serving in ministry with. So I would like to welcome Dr. Anthony Jones to the Christian Soldier Podcast. Welcome, sir. Hey, hey what's up, everybody? How's it going? <laughs> thank you all for having me on, on the show. Man, I'm so, I'm so, so glad that you're on. So thank you so much for coming. Uh, we just, we, we, for this conversation, we really value your expertise and the, in, and the input that you want to have or, or, or that you have. And so um, I would also say, so for, for listeners, I'm, I'm not going to tell too many, too many tales out of school. <laughs> Dr. Jones and I go back a minute. <laughs> yes. Yes. We go back a minute to, to, to college students and to being, you know, young married and young in our careers and mm. ministry <laughs> stuff and our kids growing up together and all that kind of stuff. So, so this, this is, this is a very, this is a very dear brother whose word and whose opinion and who, whose perspective that I trust greatly. So listeners, I promise you, this is going to be an amazing conversation with Dr. Jones. And so what I'm going to tell you now um, is this is going to be, you know, we, we're a long form podcast and, um, you know, typically our episodes are about an hour, an hour, 15, 20 minutes or so. So this will probably be, you know, an extended episode um, because there's a whole lot that we're not going to want to cut out. And then I want to have to go through the whole thing of making two episodes and post it, you know, kind of back to back week to back to back weeks. So we're going to post this entire episode so that you can listen to it at your leisure and you can listen to the, to the entire episode in context. So we want you to sit back and relax and well, maybe you won't relax, but sit <laughs> back and enjoy this conversation um, about equity and justice with uh, the brother, the leader, the pastor, the teacher, Dr. Anthony Jones. So before Dr. Jones gives a little bit about himself and his connection to, to today's topic, we wanted to give our listeners just a little bit of context. Okay. So today, we wanted to talk about one of the things that happen, that's happening in our community of Ames, Iowa. So uh, coinciding with Black History Month this year, the first week of February is also Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. So from um, February 1st, Monday to February 5th, Friday was the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. And so um, as we record this episode on February 6th, the end of that week just ended yesterday. Okay. Now, the BLM at School Week of Action is a national voluntary initiative that the school district of our city decided to participate in, along with several other schools and school districts across the country. So, uh, for reasons that we're going to get into shortly, our our district's decision to participate in this event has been a very, very controversial one, with much of the opposition coming from Christian clergy and um, other members of the faith community. So what we wanted to do was have a conversation about the BLM uh, at school week of action and the issues that it raises and the broader implications that go beyond just those first five days of February and 
especially talk about it from our social location as Christians. So those of you who listen to our podcast know that while this isn't a Christian podcast per se, our location and our vantage point and, you know, and, and that is as Christians. So, um, with the many intersections that Dr. Jones is able to speak to extremely credibly, we wanted to ask his help in processing some of the nuance and implications in our community. So how's that for the two of you? I'm excited. I'm excited to have you, Dr. Jones. Yes. So um, before we dive in, Dr. Jones, if people wanted to find you on social media, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter at capital A, capital D, capital J-O-N-E-S, 1019. Perfect. At Twitter. And with that, I'd also like to say that while Dr. Jones is certainly a member of the school district, the views expressed by Dr. Jones reflect his personal opinion and his personal perspective and not those of the Ames Community School District. So we wanted to make sure that people know that um, just for very obvious reasons. But yeah, this is just, these are three friends talking and there's someone with a value perspective I, I believe that we all need to hear. So. With that uh, preamble, let's get into it. So, Dr. Jones, we 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 normally give our podcast um, a a song title for each episode that fits the the episode's theme. So, I'm going to hand it off to Justine. So, Justine, what's the title track for this episode of the Christian Soldier Mixtape? So, today's track is called "Black Lives Matter," which is perfect for what we're going to be talking about. And there's actually a lot of songs with this title. There's a lot of songs called Black Lives Matter. But the one that I really like is by a musician called Dax. And uh, I think the lyrics of his version of the song are particularly relevant to today's episode. And I'm going to go ahead and just read one verse from his song that really stands out to me. And it says, I think it's time that we repair all the bridges we've burned and let love out of our hearts onto cheeks we've turned. Spread love, show love. Let's get rid of this curse. Don't wait for anyone to act, man. You go first. 400 years wasted. Let's get rid of this heart. Because that's the only way we'll ever see peace on earth. And you guys, I would challenge you to go ahead and just listen to his song, read the lyrics. Um, but yeah, that's going to be today's title, Black Lives Matter. That's awesome. And so for listeners, we will put this link in the show notes. Yes. Mm. So I only heard this song, Justine, when you sent it to me, you know, and I was looking for like a bunch of different BLM lists and playlists and everything. And I heard this song just, just yesterday. And I was, I was kind of blown away by the, yeah, it's, it's pretty fire. You're so. welcome, Abdul. You're welcome. Yes. Okay. So Dr. Jones, you are a PhD educator. So you've studied and you've done the hard work of actually gaining knowledge that allows you to do the work that you do. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what your discipline is and what your area of specialty entails? Yeah, so, yep, that is true. Uh, I did uh, earn my PhD uh, in education, uh, educational leadership and policy studies, actually, uh, with an interest in the role of spirituality and leadership. So I always tell people, you know, I didn't study, you know, I didn't get my PhD in, in curriculum or, or, you know, anything like that. But, you know, my role is I went into my PhD program. I was very interested in the role of spirituality and leadership. And so I wanted to, to look at all different type of aspects 
of leadership in the school system, uh, specifically uh, looking at leaders or school administrators who are leading in both public and private institutions. Mm -hmm. And so uh, looking at drawing connections between, you know, spirituality, servant leadership, identity, and social justice. And so, uh, you know, that's my interest and, and, and that's, you know, that's the lens that I see through when I walk through uh, the hallways in the district. So, so when you, I'm sorry, go ahead, Justine. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so did you always know that you wanted to work in the K through 12 system or were you kind of thinking higher ed? No, I always, I always wanted to work in the, the, the PK 12 system. Mm -hmm. uh, nice. I, I just felt like that, you know, that's the area the call was heavy for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I actually started um, at Iowa State mm -hmm. in the exercise and sports science or kinesiology uh, field. Yeah. And, um, you know, my last year, I, I had a heavy, heavy, heavy uh, call on me to go into the school system. Wow. Yeah. Very mm -hmm. nice. Yeah. Abdul, were you going to ask something? Yeah. So I was going to ask. So when you say um, spirituality, right, and, and the role of spirituality and leadership and policy. So what do you mean by that? Yep. So what I mean by spirituality, I wanted to make sure that, you know, spirituality is different than uh, religion. And, you know, when you, when you look at spirituality, it's looking at uh, the different aspects of, of the personality and characteristics of Christ. And so, you know, I've always learned, especially from day one, is that uh, the story centered around Jesus. It had no attachment to a particular faith or denomination. Uh, you know, we, we first learned that God is love, right? So what denomination right. holds, what denomination or, or religious institution holds on to love and mercy? And mm. so uh, when, in terms of spirituality, we look at the holistic uh, part of a, of a person that they bring into um, their jobs, you know, in whatever aspect that is in terms of spirituality. That's so. <laughs> amazing. Oh, so good. So I can already tell there's going to be jewels dropped because you, as you were saying something, you, you said a word and you just kept going. And I'm like, wait a minute. Well, actually, so you use the phrase love and mercy. Mercy. Yeah. And yeah, that for some reason that really struck hard with me, especially in this, on the conversation in this topic. And so, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I love that you have that lens. Right. You know, and I also love that you emphasize the importance of viewing the whole person, you know, like the holistic person, because I think part of a human nature is we can think of people in little pockets. Yep. But I love that you're focused on the holistic being. That's really awesome. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Jones, what is your role in the Ames School Community District and what does your role entail? Yep. So uh, as, as it was said earlier, uh, I'm the director of equity uh, for the Ames Community School District. And uh, basically my role is to help oversee and support the district's goals around educational equity, inclusion, access, you know, for, for our students in Ames. And, you know, I'm also used in terms of monitoring the opportunity and achievement gap. So I say opportunity and achievement gap together uh, because we know that um, access is not there for all of our students. So uh, we know that there is a quote unquote achie achievement gap. But, you know, my lens tend to look at the fact that opportunities are limited as well. And that's why we see the disparities uh, in grades and in discipline. And so I monitor the data uh, around that to identify and remove barriers uh, for our students, uh, specifically uh, our historically marginalized students. 
So, nice. so can you speak a moment to like, so the achievement gap, I, I'm, I'm sure that our listeners get, um, but also for the opportunity gap piece, right? So what do you mean by the opportunity gap? Yep. So we typically think in terms of achievement gap. So I'll start there first. Uh, we look at grades, right? Like even those of you who have attended or, you know, listened or jumped into one of our school board meetings, we typically have a lot of conversations around standardized uh, assessments, uh, such as in Iowa, it's the Iowa assessment or ISAPs now. Uh, we look at fast data and those things. Those assessments have to, to do with, you know, how a student is doing in terms of taking a test to show, you know, what they know. Um, or don't know. The opportunity gap is that is the opportunities where doors are closed, where our historically marginalized students don't get the opportunity to engage in. And it's interesting how those two, the opportunity and achievement gap kind of play off of each other, mm -hmm. because in the school structure, uh, we use the achievement data for students to get access and opportunities into different programs in the school system. Yeah. So we look at the opportunity gap as a, it's, you know, it's a lack of a disparity around opportunities because students, you know, whether it's a teacher who may have a heavy bias toward students, uh, it's the curriculum that's brought into the classrooms. Uh, when our students walk into the front door of the school and they receive their schedule, you know, you know, it's almost mm -hmm. like let the odds forever be in your favor, depending on what teacher you get. And so. Mm -hmm. If you get a teacher that is, you know, has an equi equitable lens or a critical conscious lens, then you know that teacher is going to bring different aspects uh, into the classroom to make sure that all students are represented. But if you get uh, a teacher who only believes that the American way uh, is the way in this classroom, then uh, mm -hmm. we know that's an opportunity uh, gap for that mm -hmm. particular student. Mm -hmm. And so we also use the achievement gap, I mean, the achievement data to look at you know, students being able to get into our talented and gifted programs, our AP courses, and who gets into college and then what type of college they, you know, students get into. And so all of those things speak to the opportunity gap that is missing or that's a huge opportunity gap mm -hmm. for yeah, us. Thank you so much margin. for that. And, 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 so, and so when you say opportunity gap, you're talking about all students, not just black students, yes. black American students, right? You're talking about all like um, LGBTQIA plus kids, you're talking about kids with mental health issues, you're talking about kids with economic issues and food instability and all, you're talking about all, like however a kid is marginalized, right? Yes. Uh, you know, when we look at the, you know, the beginning of schools, like from day one, uh, our school system was, was white normed, white male normed actually, uh, and, and cisgender. So uh, students who had disabilities, they were not allowed to go to the general public school. I mean, uh, black and brown students weren't even thought about or considered mm -hmm. uh, to walk into uh, an American or U.S. Uh, school system. So the school system from day one started, um, you know, with a, an environment of white, male, normal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or quote unquote normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so everything else, you know, in terms of looking at, you know, students with disabilities, uh, uh, Girls, for instance, you know, uh, those who identify as girls, gender um, issues, like none of those things were considered in, you know, the first uh, school. And so uh, when you think in terms of how historically schools have, you know, been white normed, um, and, and I could talk about that a little bit later, but how school systems have responded is that they created other 
avenues for the white norm to continue. Mm -hmm. And so um, in order for, you know, historically marginalized students such as LGBTQ plus the students with disabilities, black and brown students, students who speak other languages than English, um, they never had the opportunity because uh, school systems adjusted and moved the needle, so to say, so students yeah, can be yeah. successful in, in school. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so that's, that, that's actually a perfect segue to my next question. Um, so as we mentioned before, this, this is coming on the heels, this episode's coming on the heels of the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. So what exactly is the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action and how did it come about? Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, this is uh, pretty, pretty crazy, uh, but you know, uh, it actually came about from a group of educators, you know, and, and that's the part that I love about it is that hmm. it, it started in Seattle, uh, about five or six years ago, uh, from, you know, a, a bunch of, um, <laughs> black educators in an elementary school wanted to wear t-shirts that said black lives matters at school. And so um, the whole, you know, the whole structure of the week of action is basically centered around intentionally centering the lives of our black and brown students in every in the everyday aspects of schooling, from the classroom curriculum to educational wow. practices and policies. And, and, and this is what I love the most is that it gives it gives us as a school system the opportunity to focus on the intersectionality of our black students within, you know, the o overlapping forms of oppression such as sexism, you know, homophobia, ableism, some of the things we talked about, xenophobia. And so it gives us an opportunity to say, you know, we're not, you know, black people and black students are not just a single people, you know, and neither do, do we have a single issue. And so that's the powerful part about the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. It gives us the opportunity to be intentional about centering uh, the lives of our black and brown students. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it was spearheaded from the right place, at least in my opinion. Uh, it was spearheaded by a few classroom teachers and administrators mm. um, who they were very knowledgeable and, and aware and had their ears to the ground in terms of, you know, things that were happening in other school districts across the state and, and nationally. And so uh, they began to engage in some of the uh, lessons within their classrooms. And so uh, they actually brought that to my attention and said, hey, look, Dr. Jones, you know, here are some things that are happening uh, in other schools across the state. It typically happens every year in February. And so we think it'll be interesting. You know, it would be good for us to bring it to our district. And so um, it was brought to my attention because actually um, a teacher reached out to me because she was getting a lot of ridicule within her building for putting up uh, posters on her mm -hmm. on her window. Yeah. And it was actually like, you know, little coloring pages of pictures and you know it had all of the 13 guiding principles and you know and this particular teacher was at an elementary school and um they experienced everything from you know other colleagues coming and uh taking the pictures down uh to uh complaining to the principal and um you know the principal actually the first response was uh they asked them to to take the take the pictures down and so uh, they reached out to me and the superintendent 
and you know we didn't think it was an issue with putting pictures up on a window and mm -hmm. so we ended up having and this was actually last year almost a year and a half ago now mm -hmm. we ended up having a big uh meeting with the school administrators and we i mean we were on different sides you know in terms of the support of and basically what got everybody all uh twisted was that it was a picture of a trans of trans uh person yep and um you know uh, of course you know the picture showed it was you know the picture had like the, the person had like a little headband and little stubbles you know you can see the little mustache but it yeah. was clearly uh the person was dressed as you know a woman uh -huh. and so um teachers and colleagues began to be concerned and thought that it wasn't appropriate for something like that to be uh in an elementary classroom or to be discussed and so we had a <laughs> a really nice intense conversation around our commitment to equity uh in the district a nice intense conversation <laughs> <laughs> yes yes, oh, yes 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 but i would I, say by by the time of the, you know at the end of that meeting you know we clearly knew that we needed you know we had more work to do in terms of what we meant by educational equity yeah and i would say by the time our meeting ended it, it was clear that one that we needed to do more work in defining uh what we mean by educational equity and then two mm. um i think we were on the same page that we if we wanted to be serious about this work we had to support all students and so this wasn't just about you know black um um cisgender students but we're talking about all students who are marginalized in our school system right right yeah and this yeah and this is a it's a policy issue yes <laughs> right so it's mm -hmm. yeah it's not just it's not a preference issue of what's taught and what's not it's an issue for how do we institute equitable policy because you know we all know that things don't get that, that don't get written down don't get don't get done don't get taken care of don't get cared about right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and all that matters is what's on that piece of paper right so so you can say you have a commitment but a did you write it down and are you following what you wrote down mm -hmm. right so that's really good so so okay so then what was the vetting process you know because you said this has gone this is this started about a year and a half ago mm -hmm. so so this wasn't a thing that just sprung up right before february 1st right. so Right. So a lot of, a lot of people don't understand like the, the, the uh, structure around like a classroom teacher and how they use resources on a day to day basis. And so one of the things I want to say is that we've been, you know, we've used the term curriculum a lot in terms of Black Lives Matters at school uh, week of action, but they're actually not, you know, it's not I wouldn't define it as a curriculum. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, because we have a we we do have a, a clear process in terms of adopting uh, curriculum. I would call them more like uh, resources, instructional resources or materials. Mm. When teachers use you know teachers use instructional materials. They go to Pinterest, teacher pay teacher. They borrow ideas from other states and you know classroom teachers who may be a first grade teacher implementing some type of social studies unit, and they have websites they go to and they pull all these ideas in order to teach to that particular or specific standard mm. so teachers are taught to teach to standards mm. and then they use their creativity uh, resources colleagues uh, within their professional learning community to piece together 
lesson plans in order to meet the standards. But in our wow. district, so I, you know, I, I made this comment to one of our colleagues. I said, uh, one of my colleagues, I said, you know, <laughs> we messed up because we we put two we put <laughs> we put two words together, or we put words together that have always caused like controversy in our uh-huh. district. Uh huh. No, that's right. Black Lives Matter, and, and then curriculum and curriculum, right? <laughs> Wow, <laughs> man, we would pack we in our district, we would pack a, a boardroom out over yeah. curriculum. So mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by this is so when we adopt a curriculum, there is a clear vetting process that we make sure that there are representatives from each grade level. Uh-huh. Each building. We typically try to have representatives from each building, but we're not able to do that always. Um but we, we try to have different representatives from different buildings and backgrounds to give input to adopting the curriculum. And then once we kind of narrow it down to three or four, we kind of, we, we, we put the materials out in front of, you know, in the buildings and we put them usually out during parent teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. And we ask our parents to go and kind of, you know, go through the materials, skim through it, give us input of what you like and don't like. And then we get feedback from uh, the community in terms of, you know, uh, okay, this curriculum here looks like something that, you know, I could agree yeah. with and approve, but we go through this process. Why? Because we're, we're talking about, you know, a half a million dollars investment in curriculum. Yeah. So, you know, we just, a couple of years ago, we adopted the uh, foundations curriculum. And then last year, a year and a half ago, we purchased a literacy curriculum and it was half a mil easy. Mm. And that's not even including the training. Uh, sure. teachers. And so we have a clear process, but what the Black Lives Matters at School Week of Action, they were resources. It, it was no difference, no different than teachers pulling materials off of right. teacher paid teacher or Pinterest or whatever. Pinterest, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's actually incredibly helpful because, because I'd heard it as, as mentioned as curriculum. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, so the fact that people are up in arms about a teacher's choice to to grab resources from this or that or this location or this whatever is a whole different issue so thank you for that clarification yeah it happens all the time every day teachers are you know scrambling they're borrowing from each other (laughs) they're using all of their you know resources to be able to build a lesson plan for a particular standard it happens all the time and Mm -hmm. there's no vetting process in that yeah so dr jones just to be clear this resource is optional for teachers, right? They can opt out of it? No. So here's the thing. Um, <laughs> Justin, he's starting already. <laughs> so um, when we made a commitment, so we made a commitment to, to equity and access, right? So we, we said, you know, we made a commitment uh, for our district to equity. And, you know, typically from my office, you know, we don't say, you know, you know, teach foundations. That's not the role of, of my, my office. That's the teaching and learning uh, department. But what we try to do is give um, ideas and resources to be able to embed different aspects of uh, the lesson plans that teachers are using. And so what we ask teachers to do, specifically because it, it is Black History Month, is that we are going to provide you uh, resources to be able to embed into your lessons during the month or the first week of, of 
the black of black history month that speaks to the 13 guiding principles mm. again it's going to help you be able to um engage your students more now because you are bringing in uh different aspects specifically uh in black students lives into the curriculum right and so we had we 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 asked we didn't i mean it wasn't like an official mandate but all students uh, all teachers were uh, given uh, the directive to implement lesson plans around the 13 guiding principles. Mm. So no one was opting out. Uh, no one was given an out on that. And then what mm. we did too is that we understood that teachers are at different places in their knowledge and understanding, specifically around educational yeah. equity yeah. Uh, and, and, and things like that. And so what we did was we took the resources that, you know, and it's posted nationally, you know. Um, you know, we put, we, we received those and then, you know, I had staff members to come together and what they did, they uh, created like entry levels for students, uh, for teachers based on their comfort level. Le uh, level. So, um, you know, we had a novice column. So if you've never heard of Black Lives Matter at all, you don't even know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I know everybody's upset. <laughs> <laughs> We created a column for that teacher and we called it the novice column. Mm -hmm. And it had all resources and backgrounds that they can learn, you know, from podcasts to uh, articles to, you know, readings and writings around Black Lives Matters at school and what it was about. So they can study on their own. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it was important because one of the things that we trust teachers with is the ability to engage in their specific classroom because they know their 21 23 students in their classroom mm -hmm. so we wanted to give them the knowledge and background the foundational understanding so now when they go and look at that click on that link and then all those resources pop up they mm -hmm. can kind of know with wisdom and insight how to pull resources from those documents to implement into their classroom then we had an emerging so you kind of like in the middle like yeah you know i've heard about black lives matter i know there's some controversy around it but you know i don't know why there's controversy around black lives. I mean, all lives matter. I'm kind of like an all lives matters person. So what we did was we gave resources for those who were kind of in the middle of the road. And then we had the experience column for those who were already, you know, had their foundation, you know, th they embed, you know, black lives matters at school. They may not call it that, but they, they identify, you know, all of their students in their curriculum and in their lessons. And they do that on a day-to-day -day basis. And so those were the experienced teachers. And so we made sure that we, took those things in consideration. Mm. Very nice. So, so you, all right. So you said that, um, Oh, I wrote this down because I want to come back to it. You said we made a commitment to equity and access. Yes. Right. Like that's, that's, that's what I wrote it down as a direct quote from you just now. Mm -hmm. We made a commitment to equity and access. And I think about that, you know, and, and as you know, and listeners, you may not know this, but I've also done some work with our school district, you know, with, with, with workshops and coaching and some of that, just different kind of things. And, and as we've had those conversations, I certainly have seen the exact same thing where people are in different, in different places in their journey, right? And you certainly have to give grace and allow folks to be on that journey, but, at a certain, but, but there are, there's also a point that, wait, if we make a commitment to equity and access, my question is, how can you choose to opt out of certain mm. conventions about equality or equity and access? Right. Right. Like, like, so that, that doesn't make sense to me in how this conversation is happening in our community. And so, so um, I guess 
to, 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 to transition to the next piece, I, I would ask you, so what, um, what equity issue then you've, you've kind of covered this already, right? But, but, but basically, uh, this is a continuation of work already being done to address different equity issues. Mm-hmm. So summarize for us a little bit of what some of that equity work has been. Yeah. So for the past four or five years, and, and Abdul, you mentioned it earlier, you've also worked with our district in terms of unconscious and implicit bias uh, training. Uh, but we, four or five years ago, we worked with two consultants uh, who, uh, they were professors at Iowa State University uh, around critical consciousness. And one of the things that we wanted to move from was not you know, understanding cultural competence, but we wanted to help our administrators, starting with our superintendent, and our directors from the district office to our school administrators and those who are in teacher leadership positions to be able to understand how to uh, see inequities in our system, to identify them and then remove them. <laughs> and so we <laughs> yeah, do something with them. Right. <laughs> do some action. Right. I see it. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And so we spent four we spent four years uh, around this learning and training around critical consciousness. Uh, you know, having the willingness and ability to see inequities and, and see those inequities in the system and how it works. One, to disadvantage some and advantage others, right? Or advantage some and disadvantage others. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we had all this learning, three or four years, books, and we spent a lot of money around these trainings. So now is, you know, it's time for action. And so, you know, every year, you know, we're called before our school board to look at our achievement data. And so um, this year, um, you know, of course, it was the pandemic uh, happening. Uh, Our board asked us to, you know, hey, will you check in on our students and kind of see what, how are they doing in terms of academic, you know, in terms of, you know, are we seeing a big slide from them being out of school so long? So we we, uh, administered the FAST data. And what that is, it's a a literacy um, assessment around, you know, around reading. And so in uh, every year, we, we know this to be true. It's been this way. That's the reason my office exists <laughs> in the first <laughs> place is that, you know, typically when those assessments come out, you may, you can close your eyes and tell the story. Right. You know, the lowest performing students are always and typically always are black and brown students. Um, they're the well, lowest wait. performing. Yeah. Is that because those kids aren't so... They're underperforming because they're not going to class. I mean, that's their problem. If they're not going to class, and that's maybe they need parents who get them to class. <laughs> no, these are students. <laughs> see, you start. See, <laughs> see, these are these are students, and what's interesting is that many of the students are there every day. You know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, our black students are there every day, and you know, they're still failing. You know, when it comes to uh, these uh, standardized tests. And so, uh, and again, remember I said at the beginning is that the test gives you, it's like a ticket. It gives you the opportunity to kind of go into different programs and classrooms. And so, but every year we, we get the results back from our assessments and our white and Asian students are the highest performing. And then our black students and our Latina students are the lowest performing in our district. And so we knew, we knew this was happening. And so one of the things I have been saying from my office and from my desk is that you know, of course, we had the pandemic, but remember, we've been talking about this for the past four, four or five years. So right. it wasn't just the, the pandemic <clears throat> that is causing this, it's something else that is happening. 
And so what we did was we wanted to change the narrative. Okay, so we know that there's an academic concern, right? In terms of you know, how our students are doing academic and their success. But we wanted to change the narrative to look at how our black and brown students are experiencing school on a day-to-day basis. Very nice, yeah. And so what we did was we put out a survey. uh, Again, we were looking at adopting the social emotional because people were concerned around the social emotional um, mental health of our students. And so what we had been talking about was that, you know, you know, trauma is also happening at school. Mm. So it's not just, you know, somebody, you know, dad got pulled out of the home and now they're in jail and the police came to their house and that's why they're doing bad at school. (laughs) No, we have students who are experiencing trauma in school. One of the traumas that uh, our students are experiencing is that they don't see themselves in the curriculum. They don't see themselves in the conversation. I've said this before. Our students are engaging and they're full of life. The bell rings. They walk in the hallway. They go in the cafeteria. They're laughing. They're interacting with each other. And then the bell rings again. Time for them to go back to class. And then they just sit there because Mm. nothing that they're talking about is in the classroom discussion. So, okay, hold up. Wait a minute. Trauma is happening again, jewels, right? It's the, right. the stuff that's just falling out of your mouth right now, but trauma is happening at schools. And so what you're saying is, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying that lack of representation yes. in the curriculum is actually traumatizing students. Yes. Is that what I heard? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So it's, it's basically, you know, you're engaging in learning about different subjects and no one that looks like you mm-hmm. have brought anything to the table. My and God. so what our students is doing, if, if, you know, if those who are listening can see me, it's like, you know, they fold their arms up and they lean back in their chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or they put their heads down. Why? Because this social studies section is not about me. Right. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. this math is not talking about anything that, you know, I have to deal with on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. And so they disengage. And and what this is doing is creating trauma because now, you know, students who have been historically marginalized are absent in the curriculum. It's almost like it's erasing. It's almost like pulling out everything that you just experienced in the hallway, everything that you just experienced, you know, on the school bus or driving home with your parents or, you know, you're at home, you're you're, you're at practice or whatever. None of those things are discussed. You turn on, you get on social media, you're you're swiping through your phone and it's all these interesting things that are happening out in the world. And none of those things from your lens are brought into the classroom. And it's a, it's a slow, slow death. Mm. I love Dr. Bettina Love, man. Oh my goodness. She (laughs) wrote a book. She has a book out there that's uh, titled, we want to do more than survive. And she used this term and I'm like, it it speaks to, especially to your podcast is that, you know, what we're doing is called spirit murdering. We're spirit murdering our black and brown students. Every day, our black students are coming in there. And what school systems are doing is spirit murdering them. Oh, that's just uh, heartbreaking. Like, that's it is, man. 
It is. It is. But we don't assess that. We don't, we don't assess it. We don't like, don't. we don't like, how do you measure that? And we don't, mm. we don't even try to create a test or anything to just simply say, how are you doing in this classroom? Mm-hmm. And then how can schools or classroom adjust to make sure that we are not spirit murdering? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <clears throat> oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And you know, Dr. Jones, as you were talking, I think I was thinking about this. I think the few times that black and brown students do see themselves in the curriculum, it has to do with pain. It has to do with mm-hmm. torture. It has to do with slavery. It has to do with struggle. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so the few times, and this happens in higher ed as well, mm-hmm. where students of color see themselves represented, it's very negative, right? Which just further matters, you know, like their spirit. And I work in the higher ed side of things, and all of these achievement gaps that we're talking about, your S- your ACT score, your SAT score determines what college you can go into. The college you can go into determines what job you can get. So these are like lifelong repercussions. Right. Like this mm. follows these students for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, so you, okay. Listeners, those of you who, if, if you're new to the podcast, um, I'm, I'm going to repeat a phrase that we say a lot on this podcast, that, that people of color, Primarily, and maybe even especially black people in the United States of America are looking like really all we're looking for is places to exist outside of white supremacy. Right. And what we don't mean is KKK wearing hoods and, you know, Confederate flags and rocking swastikas and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we mean. We mean the system of supremacy that is set up to suggest that white is normal. And every time there's the absence of something from another cultural perspective, nobody misses it. Right. That's what we mean. And so when you're talking about this spirit murdering, so my my wife cannot shut up about Dr. Bettina Love. She absolutely, Ooh. I mean, I hear that name in that book at least once a week in my house. And and it's on my coffee table right now. And it's 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 a really, really important work. We will put that link to that book in the show notes. Um, but but I just wanted to say that that's what we're talking about. When we talk about white supremacy, we're talking about the spirit murdering of Mm -hmm. black and brown and marginalized folks. That's Mm -hmm. what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is not about political ideology. This is not about left versus right. This is not about, you know, Jesus or Buddha. This is, this is about the spirit murdering of humans, people who are walking around and like you, Oh, the, the picture you painted was so amazing of these kids being active and live and lively and vibrant and whatever. And then the second they get into the class, this dark thing comes over this, this shroud comes over their, their, their soul. Yeah. So I just want to, I, you know, I just, I won't say any more about that, but I just want to really, really highlight the fact that what we're talking about is white supremacy in essence. And, and Abdul, here's the thing about it. Let me let me just say one more thing about, you know, in terms of white supremacy. And I love the fact that you, you made it clear that we're not talking about KKK and burning crosses and stuff like that. But and this has been my again, this is my personal opinion. 
and, and the more I learn, I kind of like, man, <laughs> and I'm let you in on one, one of our uh, in-house conversations is that my critique about the movement, right, mm-hmm. is that as, as historically marginalized people, we haven't figured out, we haven't figured out yet uh, to change. A, to, so let me go the other way. So what white normal and white supremacy has done, because they, what they perfected is that they don't have to make a lot of no- noise, really. Mm. So, of course, we just saw this a month ago. They, I mean, is the cap just popped yeah, off. So. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but most of the time they whisper and then it works. Yeah, whisper. And, and they're building like these different like systems and the system is just in place working. it. And then what we do, we say, okay, we're going, we're going to dismantle and disrupt and defund and people are flipping out. <laughs> Come on, let's go. People are flipping out over words, right? Because they think, you know, you know, what, what those all of those terms are just saying, you know, we're, we're we're changing our mind, we're reimagining how we we're doing things, and we are destructing, deconstructing things that have been constructed mm-hmm. over the years, right? But white 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 culture has figured it out because they've been doing it for so long, and they right. created. Right. They don't have to go and tinker with anything. I mean, they can go and say, "Oh, wait a minute, yep. <laughs> we got too yep. many people getting out." <laughs> uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so we Let's just dial this knob right here. <laughs> <laughs> we got to dial this down. <laughs> we got to put out. We got to put out a policy or a bill to kind of flip the script on this, and and, and that's what. And it's always subtle. Right. And we we haven't figured out yet. And again, it's no, it's no, uh, not because I understand. I understood what Tupac was saying. Like first, you know, hey, right. You were asking, hey, yep. you know, it's typically um, in the cafeteria and monitoring students and supporting students in their times of need. And this is what they were saying. Imagine, yeah. And so I know, like, you know how you can walk into a space and you can feel it? But it was a, <laughs> it was a kick in the gut because it, the letter confirmed right. what my mm. interactions and feelings had been toward this staff, this former yes. staff. Yes. And what what our students have been begging us and coming to us and saying is that this person is racist. This mm-hmm. person don't like me. Oh, you know, Miss So and So is so nice. You know, you know, <laughs> they've been in the district for so long, and they just love all the little kids. And you know, kids are frustrated. You know how when you when someone don't you know they don't listen to you. You're trying to mm-hmm. tell them that you're hurting. You begin to act out. You you know you kind of draw more attention to yourself. But, you know, I've said this from the time that I start working in the schools is that I've seen it. I've sensed it. Parents know that it's true. Students know that it's true. Mm. I'm not going to sit here like an, an officer, a, a police officer, and deny that mm. we don't have uh, bad cops. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm letting you know, we, all of our people in, 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 in our district and in our system are not good for kids. And especially mm-hmm. our black and brown students. Mm. And our students know this. Oh my goodness. And they're screaming out, why uh, won't y'all do something about this? Yeah. Well, how do you keep hiring people that oh don't like God. us? Mm. Right. Uh, oh my goodness. And that was and, one of the pushbacks that <laughs> and, wow. and, and, like that one was the one. Like it's two now. So that one's one. And then the second one family is is church community man it's it's gonna get me started 
the church. The church. In the church. Mm-hmm. I, okay, I'm going to stop. No, uh-uh-uh. Well, actually, we, we're going to probably get to some stuff about, uh, about actually, not, not probably. We will get to some stuff about the church specifically. <sighs> but, yeah, that, because the pushback that's coming from there is mm. just, it's just, it's a bit off the chain. Like, yeah. it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so those are the type of, <laughs> those are, are two examples of pushback. One, you know, we have mm. some community members who, you know, have really pushed back, who mm-hmm. don't even have kids in the school. I mean, I, we, I received a call from someone like from some small town, retired, like they're like 130 <laughs> and they heard about the school district. And, and it's almost like, I don't see this in a lot of cultures. Let me tell you this. You know, people will call you all the way from Kentucky. <laughs> I heard about what you're doing in Ames, and I don't like it. And I'm like, you don't even have kids in the school, right. but I've only seen it in, from, from cert- certain cultures is this dominance that I can call from wherever. I have no dealings with no kids. My <laughs> taxes are not going. But because I've always had it my way, I'm going to call right. 3,000 miles and let you know that you're How wrong I feel. and I don't think you should be doing it. I'm going to call that for what that is. Mm-hmm. That is white privilege. Yes. Right there. Mm-hmm. That is, that is white privilege. That is white comfort. Yep. And that is white. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. it, it is, it is. I don't live in this community. I don't have kids in this community. I live in Kentucky or wherever yet. I believe I have the right to call you and tell you why you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe you have the right to go sit down and shut the hell up. <laughs> right. That's what I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that if you have a dog in this fight, we can have a conversation. Right. You know, this is the, this is the, you know, I'm going to take it back to like third grade. This is an A and B conversation. You can see your way out, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's just me. And that also comes from, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of that conversation. Yeah. I'll, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taking them back to the towers. I Listen. see it. I see it. <laughs> about to, Bring them back. about to resurrect Abdullah Farrakhan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah. Abdullah Evers X. Yeah. I know but, better now. I know now. Yeah, that that's just, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Jay. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Dr. Jones, uh, two things that stood out to me from the email that you just read. Uh, this is someone who's talking about why can we not have Republican week? Why can it, you know, like, why can we not have white or red, whatever week of action? Um, this is clearly someone who's very ignorant and does not know the history of his or her country. Right. Um, because our country is drenched in whiteness. Right. We do have that. It's called Monday. <laughs> right. right. You know, every every month of the year is white history month. So that's why we're not going to do white history month, you know. So again, it's just man, like I feel like people need to educate themselves and honestly in 2021, if you are still saying all lives matter, mm-hmm. you are being intentionally racially problematic. Yeah. Well, and and you're being problematic to 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 other marginalized folks. Right. If 
if all lives matter, I mean, let's just go here for 30 seconds. If all lives matter, you wouldn't have one position about about being a uh, pro-life and anti-abortion and another position about the death penalty. Right. If all lives mattered, you wouldn't be having this conversation of, wait a minute, we can talk about racism and and structural bits right there, but we we're going to draw the line at talking about um, trans issues and homophobia right. and transphobia, mm-hmm. right? If all lives mattered, especially if you are a Christian, if you profess the name of Christ, I don't give a darn what your political ideology is. Right. If you profess the name of Christ, I want you to look in the mirror and be honest with the fact about whether or not you actually advocate full dignity for people who are equally made in the image of God. If yeah. you can't do that, have several seats. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But see, they're getting me fired up. Yeah, absolutely. So. So, soldiers, it's that time again. We want to give you listeners um, a moment to process. You know, we were starting to get, y'all know how I get, just kind of get wrapped up a little bit. But um, we want to give you a moment to process what we've discussed so far before we continue the rest of our conversation with Dr. Jones. So um, it's time now for our liner notes segment. And um, Brother JB and, and, and OG, like me, he knows what liner notes actually are because we actually held tapes and records in our hands and <laughs> reading the liner notes. <clears throat> but um, this is where we as Christian soldiers take a bit of a reprieve from the fight and take and talk about a, a song, a piece of art or culture or book or something that is feeding our spirit, that's inspiring us or that's in some way giving us life. So. Um, in the spirit of Black History Month and Black Joy and all of that, Dr. Jones, um, we'd love for you to go go first and, and kick us off. So what's been feeding your spirit and giving you life lately? Oh, my um, my go-to is always um, my family. Yes. Um, we, we, we make a commitment to uh, eat dinner uh, every night together unless uh, I'm in one of those school board meetings. But my family. <laughs> joins the last 78 hours yes but my family man my my family we we have family night uh, on friday and we watch you know like kids movies and you know old school movies we try to have an argument around what's the best movies out we we (laughs) argue about what's the best music who has the best playlist and so we we play games board games and things like that and 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 they are the ones that uh help me uh, bring joy to me and, and give me strength to continue to, to, to do the work uh, mm. that God has called me to do. So I would say my family. Amen. And amen. <laughs> Very nice. Jay, you're up. Yes. Uh, so I, I would say my family too. So Come on now. <laughs> my, <laughs> no, bad, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. <laughs> So I'm actually in Washington state right now with my lovely mother and my sister and you guys. It is amazing. I love my mom. I love my sister. She does not know this, you guys, but my sister is my best friend. She just gets me, you know, like she just, she just gets me and it's been so fun. The other thing that's giving me joy, and I had mentioned this in our last podcast, I'm going to be doing a little road trip, my first ever solo road trip around Arizona. So I'm looking forward to that. Ooh. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's just dope. See, you okay, you 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 were at in Kenya for what felt like six months in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you came back for like 48 hours. <laughs> exactly. And then you bounced. And I'm out. back on the road. Yeah, back on the road. See, oh, yeah. Nice. I'm so jealous right now. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> well, listen, so um I apologize in advance because the thing that's given me life, it's one thing, but it's kind of long. So I'm going to apologize for that, for that in advance. So, um, so listen, what's really given me life today or lately is Apple, mm, yeah. like Apple, the company, mm, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> and, and uh, so I hope, you know, listeners, I hope some of y'all, I don't lose some of y'all with this next statement, but I'm team Apple. <laughs> <laughs> same you know now there's there, there's there's a whole lot of reasons why but um th- there's a really specific reason why apple's giving me life right now in the last few days and in the, this month and it's really appropriate to today's topic about black lives matter and talking about black history month that's why i said in advance it's going to be kind of long because i want to really share the 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 dopeness that um a you know a company is doing to celebrate black lives and so mm-hmm. Um, so this month, you know, February, 2021, Apple is, uh, spotlighting black excellence throughout the entire brand, all their services and their whole ecosystem. So I don't know if y'all knew that. Mm-mm. So, uh, so, so here, here's what they're doing. They are, they're doing stuff to support like black lives, black art, black joy, and all that. So check this out. So one, the Apple app store has a black history month hub. And in their hub, they're spotlighting Black-owned businesses. They're Black, uh, black developers, um, entertainment, gaming apps, and social justice apps. Okay? Wow. And so the app store is also featuring stories with Black developers, specifically discussing the importance of representation in apps across their games and platforms. So cool. That's, nice. That's the app store. Now, the second Apple Music is this month honoring black artists uh black moments black movements that, sh- that have shaped music and culture all around the world and so apple's also launching a month-long experience across their apple music platform and their apple music radio and all that kind of stuff that and, and apple music tv even that's highlighting some of the like most influential musicians in jazz in blues and soul funk r&b gospel pop and hip-hop yeah so like they're and, and so they're kind of featuring these curated playlists, um, curated essays, original videos, a whole bunch of stuff from like black influential people like Ava Ava DuVernay and John Legend mm-hmm. or Erica Badu, uh, Naomi Campbell, Common, uh, a whole bunch of other folks, right? So there's a whole bunch of different things they're doing with their Apple Music platform. Then, and this is dope, on their Apple Maps, they have a thing. Um, a kind of a, a they're, they're featuring a curated apple map guide with this black owned app from brooklyn called eat okra mm. <laughs> nice there's a black owned app called eat oprah not oprah eat okra <laughs> <laughs> so and, and and what it does is it's a web it's an app that helps you find black owned restaurants in your local area and in your local community and it even lets you like I just downloaded this app today, and so it even lets you add suggestions for local businesses. And so I added a couple of black-owned businesses that are in our area wow. to the app. Yeah, nice. 
so um the apple tv app like they're like they have a whole a whole section called essential stories so this month they're spotlighting this kind of the multi-dimensionality or, or what we what we call our, our intersectionality they're calling them they're they're spotlighting the multi-dimensionality of the black family and the representation mm. on screen so they're so they're like tv shows they explore motherhood fatherhood iconic families queer chosen families a whole bunch of different stuff and then they're featuring for for the artwork for that the black art that's added to feature that and they're adding those different black artists for the entire year <sighs> yeah i'm gonna keep going i'm sorry this is long but th but th there's so much really good stuff here because yes. if and and part of it the reason why it's giving me life is because if you're a listener and you're thinking about how can we help or how we can we can we contribute if you're a business owner consider some of these things and how they might help in your business or in your enterprise mm -hmm. so um the apple news and apple news plus apps they're having like this curated topic groups that highlight the best journalism about race in america mm -hmm. um they're having some featured like audio books and audio art audio articles about uh, the black experience. And there's a specific racial justice spotlight that has an ongoing collection of articles that include uh, education on anti-racism, mental health resources, and ideas for how to serve the community. <laughs> incredible. Wow. Listen, wow. Apple, the, the, the book, Apple books used to be called iBooks. Apple books has a whole new collection that highlights great books and audio books by black authors for old readers, young readers, old school mm -hmm. authors, classic authors, and new school authors alike mm -hmm. all throughout their, their whole Apple books platform. Apple podcasts is stepping up their curation game mm -hmm. and having, and kind of highlighting black voices and even emerging content. Yes. for their podcast platform and so i've even submitted our podcast to see if we can make make sure that it comes up on the curated list as well yes right. i mean this is so much and then and then there's two more and so apple um um apple watch this month also released a limited edition black unity apple watch collection <laughs> yeah are you gonna get that abdul um yes and no <laughs> I already have an Apple Watch. I had the latest yeah. version, but mm -hmm. I did. But so, so I, I am buying the band, and and I've downloaded the watch face for it. So yes. I don't know if y'all can see this, but let's see here. Let me see if you can see it on, on the on the screen here. See that green, black, and red? It's kind of in the glare. Oh, that's cool, Abdul. That's so, so there's a green, like kind of a green, black, I and red. I see the green, then yep. I see the red. Yeah. And, and and you can kind of do some do some editing to it and make it different or whatever, but um, the watch is designed or the the Apple Watch is designed to celebrate and acknowledge Black history and Black culture. And so what they're doing is the band, which I ordered, is going to be here on Monday. The band is kind of red, black, and green mm -hmm. to celebrate and highlight the Pan African flag. Mm -hmm. you know? And and then on the and then on the on the band and on the back of the watch is like laser etched like black unity and and kind of a message and stuff in there. Yes. I mean, like they're going all in. And yeah. then and and then the last one is um, Apple is supporting six global, maybe even more, but six global organizations to help advance the mission and the achievement of equality and equity and civil rights in the U.S. and around mm -hmm. the world. So, like, they're supporting organizations like Black Lives Matter Support Fund. Yes. 
the European Network Against Racism, the International mm -hmm. Institute on Race, Equity, and Human Rights, the Leadership Conference Educational Fund, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, the, uh, the Equal Justice Initiative, and the Lynching Memorial in Montgomery, in your home state of Alabama, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and they're supporting the King Center, which is currently run by Dr. Bernice King, the daughter of the Reverend Dr. Okay. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the reason why they're giving me life is because they are they are really socially responsible um, company that that is not just saying, hey, we value black lives, but we're going to put our money where our mouth is. Mm -hmm. And so okay. the only other thing that they've done that with is the product rest that they have. And for the LGBTQ community, because what the CEO of Apple, Tim Cook, is a gay man. <laughs> you know, and so he understands the whole issue of representation and equality and equity. And I'm going to put my company's money where its right. mouth is. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so and so that's just like that. That to me, I know that was long, but that just gave me so much life when I heard about all that stuff. That's so good. And you know, Abdul, I think that is a perfect example of leveraging your areas of influence. Because think yes, about exactly how many right. people mm -hmm. use Apple products. And so they're actually finding ways to infiltrate culture mm -hmm. and bring awareness. It's incredible. Right. Right. So when y'all see me next week, I will be rocking my Apple Watch Black, <laughs> Black Unity Edition. <laughs> I might get the band this too. This is sweet. Yes, I'm looking at it now. See, <laughs> yeah, no. get that band, get that yeah, band. Yeah, that band. This is nice. So, this, by the way, listeners, was not a paid endorsement by Apple. This is just <laughs> right. This is just us. Okay, soldiers. I hope you enjoyed our liner notes. Lots of great information. So, prior to that, we were discussing the programmatic and public side of what the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action has entailed. Uh, so now real quick, we are going to switch gears a little bit. You know, as Abdul had mentioned, uh, Dr. Jones does not just work in the school system. He is actually a Bible teacher. And as he mentioned before, he is very focused too. He's very focused on the spirituality of the whole being. So Dr. Jones, I'm going to ask you a question, okay? As a man of faith, and specifically as a Christian, what do you believe is the role of faith within the public square? Yeah, in the public square, I, I believe the role of faith in, in, in our role as Christians is to be uh, good community members. And, and I say good, <laughs> I say it very loosely, right? <laughs> um, we're supposed to represent Christ in every aspect and in everywhere uh, we go. Uh, our role is not, um, is not to, <laughs> I made this joke before, you know, we're not trying to, to conquer and take the land from Jebusites and Hittites. They're not out there anymore, y'all. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> the Canaanites, we, we got to take the land. The promised land has been given. Uh, and so we are not, mm -hmm. as, as people of faith, there to take over stuff. Mm. We're supposed to be a part of the community. Uh, we are supposed to be a salt and light in the world. And that yeah. doesn't always mean a conflict. Um, uh, salt also preserves exactly. Uh, and, salt, and salt can preserve love in the place where there is hate. Uh, wow. We are called to just be in the presence of others. That's why, you know, I love working in a public institution. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I run across people that I would never see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I feel like the role of, of the people of faith is to be where the people are and to show the love of God. That is so cool. You know, I was, I was, and actually this is in context of everything that's going on uh, within our school district. I was asking myself a couple of days ago, what is the one mark of a Christian? You know, like what is, what is the one thing that Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers can use to identify a Christian? And, you know, Jesus said that they will know you by your love. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love that you are really emphasizing love empathy and being being present within our yeah. community members very yeah. good yeah yeah that's very good and man so you said and yeah this is a quotable another quotable right here the role of faith is to be where the people are mm-hmm. and to show the love of god yeah yeah just and that jewels. could be literally and metaphorically where, where people are if people are struggling if there is injustice say it justine are you there or are you not there i'm with if you. people are homeless if people are starving and hungry if people right. are marginalized are you present yeah. or do you do you put your head in the sand and yeah. say all lives matter mm. well and if you're present what are you doing when you're there right mm. you know so so we've got plenty of folks that are present Mm-hmm. But mm. what they're doing when they're there, right, is is quite frankly, it's a stench to the Christian witness, right? Yeah. Because right. you know, and 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 we can maybe get into this later, but people are so there's so much talk about I'm going to call it Christian orthodoxy, right? That that the orthopraxy and that and and they will lo- know us by our love is getting phenomenally lost. Yeah. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good. So then with that said, why do you believe that so many people, like and many of whom obviously have been Christians, you know? So as we have heard this conversation unfold, um, why do you believe that so many of them um who say that they don't have an issue, and I hinted at this earlier, but who say that they don't have an issue with discussing like equity or Black History Month, um, but then conversations about about gender. And gender identity completely shut people down and caused such such this big outcry where folks are calling you from Kentucky saying, "Hey, I don't like what you're doing." Right. I don't know. We, you know, we've been we've been taught for so long, uh, and again, you know, it's, you know, of course, you know, the Bible. You know, you hear these people quote the Bible and say, you know, well, the Bible says that it's wrong, and I, you know, it's just wrong. And my response has been, especially to those who have reached out to me, the Bible also says that. Uh, being a coward <laughs> is a sin too. It's right up in the list, right? With <laughs> with so many things. And if God gave us a, 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 a list of sins on a index card and asked us to put it in a hierarchy, mm-hmm. how would you, you know, how would you list the sins? Like which would be the worst one in a hierarchy chart, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, and, and so when you really sit down to be able to think that, you know, the old school folks would say, you know, we're all sinners saved by grace, right? <laughs> but now, you know, what I hear from a lot of Christians is that, you know, you know, yes, Jesus loved me except homosexuals. Right. Because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> right. Like, oh, that's not how the song, uh, how the song goes. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So a follow-up question to that. What would you say to those 
those those Christians, because th- those are also brothers and sisters in the faith, right? What would you say to those people who are saying to us that we're the ones being cowardly by falling to every wind and rain of culture to support um, to support queer and trans folks? And 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 not standing up for the authentic saving faith of Jesus, right? And 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 I love the fact that you said the authentic faith of Jesus because I would tell them uh, to follow the quote unquote follow the money, and that's follow Christ. So mm-hmm. what are the examples of Jesus Christ um, in the New Testament in mm-hmm. the Gospels? Mm-hmm. What was his example? How did he live his life amongst people? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for me, what has grounded me in, in all of this, when I've kind of like, well, okay, I'm reading the scripture, like, well, maybe I'm on the other side, right? <laughs> maybe I'm the one that the, the, the scripture is talking about, but the, the one that, that saves me is, is uh, the woman caught in adultery. Mm. And so I've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament and, you know, boy, you get into Leviticus and, and, and Deuteronomy, man, nobody coming out of there a lot. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> It's right. just credits these days. Everybody's catching it. Everybody <laughs> catching it. The credits, the only credits, the only thing moving at the end of this movie. Right. right. So, <laughs> so uh, if anybody should have uh, picked up a stone and hit this woman in the head, it, it would have been Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And according to the Old Testament law, um, the people as well as Jesus had every right, according to the law, uh, to hit this woman upside the head with 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 a stone, mm-hmm. and he chose not to do it. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, you all know the story. He said, "Let he without sin cast the first stone." Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually, people, you know, they kind of people are kind of funny with that. Like you usually quote that when you're in trouble. Like you actually <laughs> right, like, right. You quote that. But when you look at the, the the context of it, Jesus really didn't let her off the hook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you know, he said, "Let he without sin cast the first stone." You know the story. You know, people began to drop their rocks down from the oldest to the youngest, right? And the only person that was left there with Jesus was the woman. And mm-hmm. Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? And mm-hmm. she said, no one is here, right? And he <laughs> tells her to go. You can go. Sin no more. Mm-hmm. And, and the go and the sin no more piece is because, the reason I focus on that is because that choice was left up to that woman to leave. And go back to that person that she was with, or to go and choose <laughs> to div- to live a different path. Mm. It was left up to the woman to choose. Now let now play on that word. Now when we're talking about queer affirming and trans affirming, Jesus left it up. And I'm not saying, you know, he said, "Go and sin no more." It was a choice. We every day we have a choice to live whatever. Right? We God has given us the freedom to live. However, right? Mm-hmm. He he's given us that choice. No one has a mandate to rule over anyone's life choices. Mm-hmm. Jesus gave the ultimate example of showing love because he he told the woman to go. Right? He had every he had he had every bit he had every bit of an opportunity, every right to be the first one uh, to punish uh, this woman, and he did mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is our job as as believers. We may have some differences in terms of, you know, where we stand, but I believe that uh, love, uh, in spite of our beliefs, that we always go with love. We always follow love. And again, 
I know love is is often tossed around, but there's too many scriptures uh, that point to love being the most powerful force. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I always lean on that, um, mm-hmm. Abdul and Justine. So, listeners, I told y'all that the brother was a Bible teacher. Exactly. I told y'all we ain't playing around. So, Jay, you so were going to say good. something? Yes, I was going to say, uh, you know, and I think, Dr. Jones, you touched on this very, very well. You can affirm the dignity and worth of a person without necessarily agreeing with, you know, like with what they do. Absolutely. If, if, I, if I had a brother who maybe is indulging in drugs that are harmful to him, I'm still going to love my brother. I might not necessarily agree with his decisions, but I'm going to love him and I'm going to affirm his God-given dignity and worth. Yes. Yes. You know, so I think as believers, we need to be able to discern those two things. Just because we are affirming someone or affirming something does not mean that we are endorsing it. Right. And and I would even add that it's not even always about whether you um, um, agree or endorse or not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's about whether or not you even understand it. Right. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, so all I have to know mm. is that. Is that, you know, okay, so Anthony, like you mentioned, you mentioned about, um, you were mentioning about the free will, mm-hmm. right? So, yes, God gave us the free will, but then guess what else that God also did? God determined the times and places of our habitation and the exact yes, place yes, where sir. we would live. Yes, sir. In the fact that God determined the times and places of our habitation and the exact place that we should live, He gave us. While we're here, for example, in the United States, a country which people would say was ordained by God, it's a whole different conversation, which we are, we're not going to get into yeah, yeah, because yeah. it wasn't, mm-hmm. but not even seen in the scriptures, not even a little bit mentioned, right? <laughs> but even that, that notwithstanding, we're still placed in a country where, where the rulers and the governing authorities and the rule of law is predicated on the issue of that same free will on the freedom of expression, on the freedom of choice, on the freedom. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so there's a bit of a double free will happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, and so how can, you know, how can you, you know, you who may disagree with that and think, well, you know, that that might kind of fall on the, the, the more conservative end of the spectrum. How can you say that a, you stand on the Bible, except for where it points to things you disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's have that conversation. So, mm-hmm. so I just want to make that point because, yeah, because we, we, we are in a, in a country that allows us to have that choice, right? you know, and that, and that allows us what life, liberty, and the pursuits Shoot. of happiness. Yeah. That's right. Now it's not for me to fully understand if someone is trans and says, wait a minute, for me, the pursuit of happiness involves the external aligning with the internal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't have to agree with it. I don't have to understand it. I don't, right. it's completely irrelevant mm-hmm. to the proposition. Even if I agree, mm-hmm. right. It's right, completely yeah. irrelevant to the proposition that I still have a, 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 a I'm duty bound mm-hmm. right, to, to realize that that person is still created in the image of God. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And even if that person is not a Christian or espouses Christian values, I still am duty bound to understand that that person has full humanity, full dignity, full worth, full stop. 
Right. 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 Very good. I'm going to go to the next question here. Um, and, and for that, I want to read something. So, uh, so the guiding principles, you mentioned these a couple of times, and there are 13 guiding principles for the Black Lives Matter at School Week of Action. And we're going to post those principles in a uh, link to those in, in the show notes. Okay. But um, I like to read guiding principles six and seven and then ask a follow-up question. Okay. 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 So principle number six, listeners, if you haven't read them yet, I'll read six and seven. Number six says uh, queer affirming says we are committed to fostering a queer affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she or he or they disclose otherwise. <laughs> that's queer affirming, that, that's the value number six. Uh, number seven is trans affirming. We're committed to embracing and making space for trans siblings to participate and lead. We are committed to being self-reflexive and doing the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folks, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. So those are the two, those are two of the four guiding principles that seem to be causing so much of the hell. Now, my question for you, Dr. Jones, is this. As someone who is a preacher, a Bible teacher, and an elder in churches, do you see any theological issues from a Christian perspective in affirming these guiding principles? No, not, not, in, not in my world. And so, uh, remember, you know, my interest is in uh, people of faith who lead in public institutions as well as private institutions. And I know the two worlds that I live in. Hmm. And so, um, you know, when we think in terms of, of Joshua, right, Joshua, as you know, he closes, you know, he's led the children into, you know, they've conquered the promised land. And, you know, he makes this spill, this speech at the end of Joshua 24. And he says that for me and my house, you know, choose you this day who you will serve. But he said, but for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm -hmm. Well, when I go to work on Monday, we receive a lot of houses. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of different houses enter into mm -hmm. our space. Mm -hmm. And what we have to do as uh, public uh, employees is that we have to understand that there are many houses in this place. And what we have to do is to create an environment where they all link up <laughs> and have a, 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 a sense of belonging in a house of many different houses, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I believe that, you know, one of the things that our call is in terms of like theological is in terms that, you know, we, we know that we are in the world. You've heard it before. <laughs> we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And we typically focus too much on we're not of the world. And we, can't, we cannot understand the purpose of us being in the world because we're too busy. <laughs> we're too busy not understanding. We're, we're too busy not understanding the importance of being in the world. And we're too focused on being not of the world. And so, you know, I, I feel like theologically is that that's what Christ did is that he heard 
God heard our cry. He tried many different times throughout scripture to help us figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. But then he had to come down in the form of Christ to be with us, to be with us, to understand us, right? Mm -hmm. To go through everything that we have gone through and experienced and yes. yet still maintain all of his deity. Wow. Dropping jewels. <laughs> I really believe that's that's where we are when <laughs> we don't get to choose Ames. You know, they did a thing when they called it Ames Community School District. Ooh. Mm. And what I what I have shared this with our staff is that we are a community. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, our our school environment, the sense of belonging that our community uh, have when they enter into these doors, they must have they must see themselves. They must be valued. They must be affirmed in every aspect and their whole selves, right? Must be affirmed yeah. in our district. Why? Because we are a community. Now, mm. when I look around, that community represents the community. And my question is, when you look at other organizations and institutions, when you look around, Say it. <laughs> do your organization represents the community? Mm. Mm. Uh. Yeah. And my question is, 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 it, is it because that sense of belonging has not been created there, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you think in terms of who is accepted into your institution, mm -hmm. we don't get the privilege to pick and choose who enters our doors on Monday through Friday. We are federally and state funded, right? And so mm -hmm. we have to receive everyone. Respect rulers and governing authorities. <laughs> you hit me best with those conservatives, huh? <laughs> and, and what that means is that we have to affirm, we have to value, value our students who identify as trans. We have to value those who identify as queer. We have to let them know that we see them. Mm. When I first learned, when I first learned the percentage, like the 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 number, the, the percentage of the number of um trans black black people mm -hmm. who have been murdered mm. uh who have been um ostracized in our community it, it brings a sickness to my stomach wow in terms of when we when we know that our role as believers we are put here on this earth to make sure that we are we are we are covering the least of these right wow and i'm wow. not and i'm not like like saying trans People are the least of the, but I'm saying in terms of how we treat people in terms right. of in mm -hmm. our society, yep. is that those are the people that we need to make sure that are protected. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that we, we, we need to make sure that we are fighting for. Um, you know, in the school system, we're constantly talking about, you know, the social emotional health of our students. Could you imagine when you talk, you said, you said you used the word uh, double and it made me think of double consciousness when you think mm -hmm. in terms of having to learn how to navigate a system, not only by your race, mm. but also by your gender. Mm -hmm. And constantly, not only the violence that I talked about in the curriculum, but also the violence in the street. So now mm. you got Black Lives Matters movement intersecting with Black Lives Matters at school, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so where, where, do, where, do, where do these students go? Uh, <laughs> where, do right. they, where do they go to have a sense of peace and safety? Mm. And so I believe that our, our position as Christians is in terms of where, where I fit or the seat that I sit in 
theologically is to represent uh, Christ. And I said this earlier is that, you know, I'm understanding and constantly learning what is what it means to be in the world. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's really good. Thank you. Goodness. So good, y'all. This ugh, this episode. So good. OK, so now, Dr. Jones, I'm going to go ahead and read Guiding Principles 10 and 11. Oh boy. And I'm going to ask some questions from that. <laughs> this one here. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. So guiding principle 10 is actually called Black Family. So I'm going to read it. We are committed to making our spaces family friendly and enable parents to fully participate with their children. We are committed to dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts that require them to mother in private, even as they participate in justice work. I'm gonna read guiding principle number 11, and it's called Black Villages. We are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, and especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. So, Justine, before yes. you ask your question, can, can I just make a quick point of clarification for our listeners? Yes. So the reason why we're listeners, the reason why we're reading these four is because these four seem to be mm-hmm. the four that are causing the most, uh, the most kind of uh, backlash and uproar, that kind of thing. And specifically, uh, um, specifically because how it's being um, interpreted is that is that these guiding principles are talking about the demolishing of the the American family structure, structure. and and demolishing of the family structure um, or and uh, of the kind of the government structure and those kind of things and so and so um, like you said earlier, Dr. Jones, like when people say words like dismantling, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like you can't hear what's happening after that, right? Because you said a trigger word, mm-hmm. right? You know, and so and so and so these four principles are at the heart of what all of the um, uh, issues are, because they're interpreted as being anti-Christian, anti-family, anti-faith and anti-government. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Abdul. So, Dr. Jones, as someone who is a preacher and a Bible teacher and an elder in churches, do you see any theological issues from a Christian perspective in affirming these guiding principles or in, or in affirming LGBTQIA plus people. Mm -hmm. In, in terms of guiding principles 10 and 11. Yes. Yes. So uh, when I look and and so when I first uh, read through the 13 guiding principles, there are some that really like, uh, really like um spoke to my heart and just really like filled me up and and just made me appreciate being black mm-hmm. and, and and nothing was like 10 11 and and 12 mm-hmm. and even 13 i would even say 13 yeah uh, because i'm still fully learning even more you know how to appreciate and love um our, our black women mm. <laughs> I've shared with people. I'm surprised that we've received a lot of pushback on this one. This one kind of <laughs> took me by surprise. I was like, "Whoa!" I didn't, wasn't even expecting. Like, what? <laughs> so I had to read yeah. it again. Uh-huh. And the first thing I had to realize is that you know when you talk in terms of white privilege, right? And so I'm gonna I'm going to attach 
the end and the in the world piece, what I was referring mm-hmm. to earlier, right? Is that first of all, this is about black lives. This is about centering mm-hmm. black lives. So people miss that. Right. Yes. It's not about your family. <laughs> it's uh, not about white nuclear families. I know it says dismantling, but this is not about your family. And then it, mm-hmm. it, it makes me think in terms, okay, so why is this fear? Why is this, this uprising? Why is this anger toward this particular one? It's because I've always said that the fear, and we've heard you know, many writers say this before and speakers, it's always a fear that Black people are going to uprise you know, rebel and uprise, you know, to do what yeah. was done to them. Right. Mm. When you think in terms of if any, if any nuclear family has been dismantled, it has been the black families. Right. As a result of slavery. Right. Mm-hmm. So the nuclear family <laughs> was dismantled, like literally, like these are just, these are wordplay. So anybody that understands the world of, of, um, of, uh, social, um, ah, the word, leave me now in terms of social construct, right? Mm-hmm. And that theory that has to do with social socialization. Mm-hmm. Words are used, the understanding is that we know that, you know, our everyday norm and behaviors have all been socially constructed. So for yes. instance, we know that race is something that has been socially constructed. Mm-hmm. Right. And we know that the norm that we live and breathe in has also been constructed. And so... <laughs> dismantle just means that you know if something has been created that we can't even touch it's just an Uh idea so it's the disrupting and dismantling the idea yeah we're not going into your home Mm -hmm. and pulling you apart from your your um come on now say it the mom and dad and the, the two kids, the boy and the girl, right? Because it has to be that perfect ideal family. Yes. You, you know, and, I can't find your dog. Yeah, you got to have a dog, right? And so, <laughs> you know, and I've said this before, you can't find, you know, I have a family of six and we always have this joke, right? We're not going to find a coupon for six to go out for dinner. You're going to see a coupon of four. Come on, come on, <laughs> let's go. You can't go to Disney and find a Disney coupon for six people, but we will see one for four. Which, yeah. by the way, is an equity issue. Yes, yes sir. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why it's in the, these guiding principles, man. The educators that put this together and organized it were wise, man. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Mm. But really the, the nuclear family and understanding is that in, in the, as a result of slavery, when mom and dad right. were taken from the kids, the village had to come together mm-hmm. to help raise the children. I mean, we love, we love, we love to, um, it's kind of like this fantasy and we love international things. So just think you can appreciate this, like in terms of anytime you interact with, you know, with our white brothers and sisters in terms of doing missions and stuff, it's like this romanticism mm. that's about it. Right. And yeah. so we love to quote, you know, well, there's an old African proverb that states the villain <laughs> to raise a kid. Yep. And this is what, this is what, these two principles are centering on right that because of the current dynamic that that we are in no single family can, can raise a child that. alone mm-hmm. so this idea so justin you are in, you are visiting your family right and, mm-hmm. and, and and you're able to you know you love your mom you love your sister but man it's some reason about because i'm centering black people right 
in our brown people is that it's something about grandma uh, and yeah. uncles. Yeah. Oh <laughs> and, my gosh. Aunties. Aunties. Right. And, and adopted cousins. You know, oh, you, right. you, you, got, you got people in your community that, oh yeah, this is my cousin. Like really? Like, right. like this is just my cousin, right? Yeah. But you ha- we, we've had to learn as black mm. people because of the construct that we have been placed in to figure out how to depend (laughs) and lean on a village to help raise each other. Right. So good. And so, so it's the same thing, you know, even with, you know, even with the way the structure that churches are made, right. Even though we've tried to do different things, like if there can be a large, huge church, right. You know, mm-hmm. it was a big thing about mega churches and everybody was creating these big churches, but then they had to figure out how to create these small community <laughs> like groups, right? Right. Uh-huh. Life groups, Bible like, studies. And none of them are in the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, when you look at the list, because I've been a part of that, it's, al- it's always created almost like if they live in close vicinity of mm-hmm. each other, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to build a community. And this is what this is referring to is that we don't want our kids to grow up in school to read the books of the two, the mom and the dad and the two, two Mm. kids, girl and boy, Mm. and to think that this is the only prescribed family Family. when the bell rings and they go home and they have uncle who lives at home with them, or they've Mm -hmm. been raised by auntie, Mm -hmm. or they have a foster Mm -hmm. uh, parent or check this out. An adopted parent, right? Right. Yeah. Have a, so we, we right. know that in, in, in a lot of worlds, in terms of faith and how we, how we interact, especially in this community, that we have a lot of families who have adopted kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so this painting of this Western prescribed family, nuclear family, is changing this narrative that this is the only right. definition of a family and, and, and what 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 this what these two particular principles are talking about is that we are changing in there. We're gonna bring more books in the classroom that mm-hmm. have stories about different families. Mm-hmm. All families don't have that little dog, Abdul. Right, right, <laughs> right. You know, we need to bring some books of some single moms with their kids who are also successful and have uh-huh. their PhD right. and they work at Iowa State University and they right. work at the University of Iowa. We got to bring right. those type of families into right. our classroom curriculum and we have to stop bringing these materials and telling these stories mm-hmm. of the perfect ideal right. family. Or and of and of single fathers. Yes. Right. Or or you know or of if you've got, oh. you know, a family where you've got, you know, a mom and a mom. Oh my goodness. Or a right. dad and a dad. Yes. Dad and a dad. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or um, a mom and or a dad and somebody who's like n- um, a non-binary. Yes. Right. right. All of that. Right. All and of so that. It's, yep. it's all of that. And so, mm-hmm. and, and, and I get, yeah. I, and, and I've had so many conversations around these and the same thing with, with, with the principles 10 and 11, that kind of thing. And so many conversations with, with, uh, mm-hmm. with, with Christians. And I would say, listen, especially if you are someone like me, you know, I come from more of the kind of the, the, the conservative reformed theological tradition, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and so, you know, really, really big emphasis on exposition and hermeneutics and exegesis and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I would say, wait a minute, follow 
So if 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 you're a listener and you're just not down with, with, with what's happening in our culture and in our community, I would say follow your own rules. Yeah. Follow the basic rules of hermeneutics. Mm-hmm. So somebody would come to me and and mm, yeah, several I forget, forget the count. Several folks have come to me and said um in opposition to to some of these points about well what it's saying is it's just, it's it's dismantling patriarchal families. Obviously, we we read the text, right? Mm-hmm. It's that's not what it says. Right. And so and so to say to say that it is trying to dismantle whatever is simply not true. Right. Not true at all. Right. right. Um, and, and, and to say that, you know, well, it's, it's just like you said, I won't, I won't go into it, but it's just like you said, the, the it takes a village thing is not about dismantling the family structure. Right. And, and really, and I would have folks understand this point, that family structure is not even, it's both a Western thing but primarily it's a white thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say white thing, I don't mean people of European descent. I mean right. the political, social, whiteness. legal construction of whiteness. Yes. I mean yes. the thing that, you know, if you are, if you are Scandinavian and, and, mm-hmm. or, and, and you have culture when, when you came on Ellis Island or however you got here, you gave things up to become white. White, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the things you gave up is this communal concept of family. Right. right, because there, you know, there is, and and I'll put again, I'll put some links and data and re- research in in the show notes. There is certainly research about the prevalence with which um, different so-called races or ethnicities of people do family, multi generational mm-hmm. homes versus, you know, if 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 you're if you're white, you're more than likely to put your aging parents in a home somewhere. Mm-hmm. You're significantly less likely than a black or Latino family or an immigrant yep. family to mm-hmm. have multi generational living like that. Yes, right. yes, right. So, so that's what this villages concept is talking about. You know, to mm-hmm. your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Wow. So, yeah, Doctor Jones, that's I really appreciate your perspective on that. Um, we could go more into that, but for time's sake, um, I want to ask kind of a, a follow-up question that's related to these guiding principles. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So many of the parents who object to the BLM at school week of action, and even the ongoing work after the week of action, they do so on the grounds that it's infringing on their right of parental choice, so to speak, and their right to educate their own children and not indoctrinate their children. So I've heard that word indoctrinate several times. Yeah. And so what's your perspective um, on that? And then what would you have to say to those parents? Yeah. So I have two perspectives. And, and, and so I'll start with one. So I'll start with my perspective. And then I want to bring in another uh, text to that question okay mm-hmm. so my perspective is this uh you know many items that teachers and you know that we teach on a daily basis include curriculum that are considered to be controversial right so many items that we teach right <laughs> could be considered to be controversial on a daily basis and and honestly that's one of our jobs as educators mm-hmm. is to raise our students awareness of issues that affect the world around them and to consider potential solutions right and so it's not just about, you know, we're going to indoctrinate students. We're actually trying to introduce them 
as educators to prepare our students to live in a global and democratic society. You hear us say that all the time in our mission statements about, you know, schooling yeah. is about preparing our students to live in a global and democratic society. And so I always say education is not, it has not been, um, it has always been, let me say it this way, it has always been political. Right. Yep. U.S. education is not neutral. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why we keep pretending to say that, you know, U.S. education is is, you know, apolitical or it's neutral. It's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've said this before. We teach we actually teach history, government and civic courses in our schools. Right. Right. <laughs> and so. Yeah. So, I mean, and then the second I said I was going to bring a text in is that, you know, I went back and I looked at our we have a policy policy 603.9. And this policy addresses, you know, the issues of teaching uh, controversial issues, right? Mm. And the first line says this, the right to explore and discuss controversial subjects is at the heart of the American democratic way of life. Wow. Okay, wait. For the listeners, you got to run that one back. Yep. Yep. Our policy, uh, policy 603.9, centered around teaching controversial issues, it begins with this sentence, the right to explore and discuss controversial subjects is at the heart of the American democratic way of life. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So, So wow. And I'm guessing none of that got invoked in this discussion. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay, so you mentioned that you said many of the items that the district teaches is, is controversial, right? So it could what, be considered controversial. Right. right. So mm-hmm. what's an example of the kinds of things that have been controversial to teach about so far? Like right. let's, so, even like the recent past. Right. So for instance, uh, coming up in the spring, you know, the rabbits are out being playful, right? <laughs> and I say this jokingly because it's funny that it, it aligns with the spring schedule. <laughs> uh, each year we teach, you know, human development. And that's from elementary all the way up to the high school, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, teachers, you know, they still split in elementary. They split the groups up by girls and mm-hmm. boys, which could be controversial, right? <laughs> depending right. on who you're talking to, right? Right. But we still split students up, girls and boys, and we have a conversation about, you know, um, the the development of the body, right? Mm-hmm. And that can be a controversial issue that parents feel like, okay, this is something that I should be teaching my kids at home. Yeah. And we do have an opt-out option for parents to do that. This has been something that has been practiced for years. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So teaching elementary students about the body parts, we split them up, girls and boys, and we have this conversation at Uh school. Yeah. Uh, With elementary students. Uh, middle school students and of course you know high school students we have help um also we we teach science (laughs) 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 and i don't even want to i mean when you when we really dig down into science just in general right especially what we what we've experienced in the conversation that we've been a part of during COVID, right Uh, so we we teach science and that can go many different ways and so um we're constantly involved in you know, there's a chance a student may ask a question mm-hmm. that is not dictated by the lesson plan. 
And so we have no control over that. If a student, you know, desires to have a, a you know, a deep question about something that is not scripted, right? <laughs> right, right. Then we, that could literally create a subject around a controversial issue. Sure. And so this happens all the time, especially in a really good classroom where students feel like they can raise their hands and, and ask questions that they, that the teacher may not agree with, mm-hmm. or someone in the classroom may have a different point of view. In those classes, you're going to see uh, controversial issues come up all the time. So, so then what about, okay, so what if the controversy or the controversial issue is something that, that, okay, so I, I like the example of, you know, teaching the, the, the human sexuality piece. Mm-hmm. Have you heard a situation where a teacher may want to opt out of teaching a subject or part of a subject? Not since I've been uh, in a, no, uh, I have not. That's a great question. <laughs> so no. Have you heard? Okay. So then have you heard about, are there other than the human sexuality thing? Are there other things that you've heard of that parents have opted out of in the curriculum? Yes. Uh, when I was associate principal at the middle school, um, you know, it would be often that in health, when the subject uh, came around for uh, conversations around mental health and the topic may come up about um, uh, suicide or anything around that nature. Mm-hmm. We've had parents to uh, contact us and say, you know, I want my, my child to opt out of this unit or this lesson because of traumatic reasons or whatever. Sure. And so we've had parents to call to opt out. Okay. Uh, we also had uh, a couple of teachers who would, um, you know, there was a lot of, there was a wave that has been going on uh, with like this mindfulness in terms of preparing students to kind of clear their minds and right. prepare for the lessons. And so mindfulness is kind of like, you know, it's been going on, happening about three, four years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of taking waves and so some people feel like this is like getting over into like, like two new agey kind of things new agey stuff yep so yeah. we've had we've had parents to call and you know ask for their uh student to not participate in the mindfulness okay. activity so yeah so things like that anytime religion comes up mm-hmm. not really because you know we you know we always remind our teachers at the beginning of the year it, it is we always use this as a begin uh, as an example where we're talking about controversy, teaching controversy issues around this topic in yeah. particular. But we say, like, even I'm looking, I'm reading right the, the policy, I'm reading right from it again. No indoctrination of religious beliefs or advocating of partisan causes will be included in class discussions or in the curriculum. And so we, we are very conscious and aware of, you know, uh, people feeling like, uh, you know, there's going to be some indoctrination around religion. So we always mm-hmm. bring this up. So, however, we do have this caveat that says this, yeah. this pro- prohibition does not prevent or discourage the teaching about religions or partisan causes. Mm-hmm. The comparison or history of various religions or the study of the influence of religions upon our society, right. our country's values, or those of other societies. Mm. Yeah. So. Anybody who takes that as, well, you shouldn't even be talking about these things is incorrect. Mm-hmm. So, it's incorrect. So, so the position of the district then is, okay, we talk about these things insofar as we're having a comparative discussion. Yes. Right? Right. Okay. Now, okay, so then 
that said, people can. Um, so there's a, and, and I forget exactly how you read it, but there's a clause in there that was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Can you read it again? The the, the no indoctrination part. Yes. Or, yes. Yeah. So it says no indoctrination of religious beliefs or advocating of partisan causes. That's it right there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Religious beliefs and partisan causes. There yeah. are many people who would say that right now talking about, and I'm using air quotes, yep, transgenderism, gotcha. mm-hmm. you know, so, so people would call that a kind of an ism, right? right. So right. talking about being, you know, or as the, as the, as the guiding principles say, being queer and trans affirming is in itself promoting a, 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 a liberal leftist, progressive partisan agenda right you know so right. so how does one in so in that situation was a really really kind of a dicey thing because okay yes mm-hmm. on the one hand there is a partisan dimension to the entire issue about about um lgbtq rights right right mm-hmm. so that just is what it is like, like there, there's a whole dimension about that but that said how does how is the district separating that political discussion from the rights of LGBTQ people? Right. You know, like from this abstract thing to the fact, uh-huh. wait a minute, we've got students in our school who identify yep. as this or this or this, and we have to find a way to, to address that. Yep. And so that's what I like. What the next statement says is that this, <laughs> this prohibition does not prevent or discourage the teaching about religions or partisan causes okay yeah. so it does not prevent see the whole thing is that as long as we are bringing in resources providing students with access to materials mm-hmm. resources again i'm quoting from the policy again mm-hmm. access to materials resources and data that illustrate conflicting points of view mm. and so what what the principals are basically doing is bringing in other viewpoint to the instructional materials. Right, right now, what we've always witnessed, again, I had an email from a student from the high school who identified as transgender. Yep. Finally, we have other identities mentioned in our instruction. Wow. Yeah. Because like we said at the top of the conversation, representation matters. Representation matters. Yes. Yes. And so and that's 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 all I'm saying. Yeah. About to parents, you know, one of the roles of educators is to present all points of view. We're not supposed to be um, partisan over one issue over mm-hmm. another. We're not supposed to yeah. indoctrinate based upon if I'm a Christian, my job as a school administrator is not to stand before my staff and preach what Deuteronomy 28 said, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're going to run me out of there. Right, right. <laughs> Right. (laughs) (laughs) But as a history teacher, right teacher can go in and teach about Christianity, Hinduism, like Mm -hmm. he can go down or he or she can down the line. Down the line, as long as they're presenting all the information to the table. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So I know that Justine wants to talk about um the next uh next two uh the uh, guiding principles ten and eleven. So before she jumps into that, you know, I want to kind of make this point about opting out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's a very obvious point. Well, wait, parents can, okay. Choose to opt out of certain things. 
without consequence. And I get that. And, and, and a parent should be able to do that. But then there's also, that to me seems like certain parents kind of thought of certain things, but not mm-hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you mentioned history. Right. What if me as a parent, I've raised four children in this district mm-hmm. and I'm a product of the American public school system. What if I wanted to opt out of my kids learning American history because the way that it's taught is deeply and inherently racist? Or what if I wanted to say, you know what? I actually, yeah, I want to opt out of talking about American history. I want to opt out of even during Black History Month because apparently the only thing we've ever amounted to was a couple of random inventions and slavery. Mm <laughs> and so as a parent, if that's what, you know, if, if my black children are one of, you know, one or two or three of 20, 22, 24 students in a class, mm-hmm. those two or three students who are hearing the winner's version of history right. are, are arguably being traumatized. Yes. Because the only representation that they see is not good right except for you know the one paragraph or the half a chapter on you know what there was a lady named rosa parks her feet were tired she sat down here came martin luther king we had a dream and now we're all cool now right 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 so what if i as a parent once i've out of that or what if i even better teaching science Mm -hmm. right and you know where i'm going with this i know where you're going yep what if I, as a parent, wanted to opt out of the teaching of science when I was, or, or, or my parents, when I was a child growing up in the 1970s? Mm-hmm. What if they wanted to opt, opt out of, of me learning science? Because at that point, at that point, they were still teaching scientific racism. Yep. Right? They were still teaching that, 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 that black folks were genetically inferior in, term, in mm-hmm. some textbooks. And they, and they were still teaching the thing called the OIDS. Remember the yep. OIDS? Uh-huh. The, the 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 caucasoid the afroloid the negroid mm-hmm. and the mongoloid mm-hmm. yep you know mm-hmm. and that was approved science curriculum yep. in every public school in the country north and south mm-hmm. so what if i got yep. out of that my, my personal opinion this is what will happen if and I'll say the other side, okay uh-huh. if that begins to happen then i believe this is me talking personally based on what I've observed, is that the opt-out option will be gone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let, yeah. Let, me tell you, let me tell you why. So I'll let you know a little secret, which I didn't know uh-huh. until I became a school administrator. I didn't know growing up, and I didn't even know when my kids were younger, that um, you could like request a teacher. Did you know, like, I didn't know that until I came, I I went to the middle school and, you know, assistant principal there. And I started receiving emails that uh, parents were requesting to be on a certain team. You know, I want to be on a team, Mm. you know, I didn't know you could do that. And it was, Mm. it was like written in a policy or practice that you could um, request a certain teacher. Which to me sounds like the height of some kind of Karenism, man. You know, some kind of privilege, some kind of you know. Well, I don't really want, you know, my mm-hmm. my you know my little perfect little lovely in this. You know, now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the idea, but yeah. I wonder from an equity perspective is okay. that is that 
equally applied. Go ahead. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. if because I'm pretty sure the bracket the, the the black and brown students in the district, especially if they're middle school and higher, mm-hmm. the black and brown students, uh, kids who have some significant enough mental health issues that it disrupts their school day, yep. LGBTQ students, and even differently able students, both both one know and mm-hmm. two can articulate which teachers they don't feel safe around. Right. So right. Mm-hmm. is the decision for a child or a student or, or a parent to, 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 to pick a class or a team or whatever, are those choices, is there any predictability of those choices right. by ethnicity and race or marginal, right. marginalized group? I, right. would, I would bet all the money in my pockets yep. to all the money mm-hmm. in your pockets that it absolutely mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> And of course, we did away with that practice. <laughs> but see, again, my point, my point is still this, is that, you know, it's about information too, right? We always mm-hmm. talk about opportunity and access, and that has a lot to do with information. That's so good. If parents, if parents know that they have the option, if, if all parents, because oftentimes, many of these practices are passed by word of mouth, mm-hmm. right? Well, do you know you can opt out of that? You know, you can request uh, to be on a certain team. Yeah. And so that happens, you know, that can happen at a football game. Yep. I don't know why I keep picking on the <laughs> Friday night football game. Friday night football, right. Friday night basketball, you know. Right. I, I think, you know, you hear these businesses being made on the golf course. Uh-huh. My a lot, of, a lot of stuff lot happens of, in these Friday a games. Of, a lot of information is passed at the uh-huh. same time games on Friday night. And so, and I I jokingly say that uh, in a serious way. (laughs) I'm just so Yeah. But (laughs) information is passing. So, oh, really? I can, I can, oh, I can request uh, Mrs. So-and-so. Okay. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that. Okay. Yeah. All you need to do is send in an email to the principal and let them know that you go wrong. Same thing. And it passes on and, (laughs) you know, unless someone brings it to the limelight and question. Uh Uh, but again, I would guarantee you, again, this is my personal opinion. You made the statement at the beginning when you <laughs> asked the question, right? Right. That if a lot of black and brown parents began to request the opt out of the other parts of history. It's going away. That opt out option we, would be done. Yeah. <laughs> See, and, you know, we won't even get into this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the comment. If, if I, as a single parent, have to work second shift. And I don't get to go to the basketball games or the football games because you won't get it because I'm not going to get it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Only the folks Mm -hmm. who got nine to five jobs who happen to have that evening off. Yep. Are those, are are those events? Yep. You know, and by the time that information, let's say it happens to slip out somewhere like in the target line or whatever, you're just making small talk by the time it gets to that single parent it's too late it's already done it's, it's already, already done. full it's full <laughs> right it's like top gun negative goes right and the pattern's full <laughs> yes 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 yeah yes all okay. the time all the Man. time all the time i'm telling you wow okay yeah. so okay. so this this has just been an amazing episode we can just go on and on and on and on with so many more questions um, I just have one more because I really appreciate your time and and everything you you're doing for for our schools, our students, and our community. And so we have one more question for you. Okay, right. 
So in your opinion, do our schools, um, what do our schools need to do in order to attain um, equity, justice, and inclusion for all students, even the ones that are systematically marginalized? Because, you know, for me, I, I think about that question because one of the things that I advocate for when I'm doing my work with, with organizations, especially, you know, schools or whatever it is, is that you need to put your equity metrics in staff evaluations mm-hmm. because what gets yeah. measured gets managed. Yep. Mm. And so, and so, you know, when I was in social work and when I trained social workers and when I did equity work in the social work arena with mental health people, social workers, educators, there's this really this consistent thread of nobody wants to put their equity measures in evaluation measures, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that if I look at you as a teacher and, and, and I look at your equity data, there's some things I want to see. Yeah. And if there's some problems there, there's some feedback you have to get. Mm-hmm. Just because if it's part of your job and you get evaluated to do your job or you don't get a raise from your job, mm-hmm. then you know what I mean? Or you get a raise because you're doing it, right? right. So, 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 yeah, anyway, what, what do you think um, needs to happen for, for justice and equity and inclusion for all students? Yep. So you, you said the one. Uh, the second one you, you also mentioned at the beginning, Abdul, is that, um, it has to be written in policy. Uh, and so I'm not talking about purpose statements or vision <laughs> statements. <laughs> That's good. That's good. When, when uh, the stuff hit the fan in, in, dis- in school districts, we go to the policy. And, mm-hmm. and right now in our district, the most, the, the, one, the one policy that we have to kind of like, you know, duct tape things together is our non-discrimination policy. And you think... <laughs> That would be enough, right? But it doesn't address mm-hmm. every, especially since I've been in this position. There are so many holes there because it's just like you know, um, the you know the separate, you know, separate but equal. You know, yep. We know there's some holes in that, right? Since 1954, um, Topeka. Uh, oh, Brown. Brown versus uh, Board of Education, Brown. Topeka. Yeah, Kansas. We know there's some holes, right? But the, the non-discrimination law is not enough. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we have policies in place that um, also covers, you know, um, the non-discrimination policy to cover the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing is this, is that um, we can no longer spend money and resources um, consulting, hiring consultants, uh, buying materials. We have to hire people who are already um, critically conscious, equity-minded. Yes. We have to hire those people in leadership positions. Yes. They have to be in our classrooms. They have to be on our school board. So now we don't have this. We have to spend too much time teaching. Mm. We have to spend too much time convincing. Mm -hmm. We have to spend too much time in one-on-one helping people understand language and you Come know, on. But dismantling me. We have spent too much time talking about affirming. And this is all low balling. This is low bar. Mm, Affirmation mm. is a low bar. Exactly. In the public on. school system. And we're spending a lot of time having to teach what affirming means. So we have to do a better job in, in hiring, mm-hmm. but, but, but 
Justine Abdul, you know this to be true. Our environment has to be conducive for those people to want to stay. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And so that, those are some of the things that I've been focusing on, Abdul, is that every time somebody talked to me about uh, recruiting more black people and people of color into <laughs> <laughs> our school district, I'm like, what are we doing? They don't want to be here. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, shoot, I'm, I'm, I want to leave. Like, right. <laughs> By the time they, <laughs> by the time they sign the paper, I'm gone. Like, where that brother? Where that brother? At? <laughs> the one that recruited me, he's gone. The one that recruited me is gone, right? And yeah. so, <laughs> we we have to we have to take care. We have mm. to take care mm. of our people of color who are already working in the district. Mm-hmm. We have right. to make sure that we're creating an environment for them to want to continue to stay and work in this district. And then we got to hire people who are already uh, critical conscious and. They have an equity, uh, social justice mind frame. Um, mm. For me, that's those are two things that we have to work on. And again, Abdul, I don't know if you know this, but uh, the school administrators of Iowa Equity Committee, uh, they advocated for, because it always starts at the top. It always starts at the leadership. Yep. But they were able to advocate for uh, additional uh, standards for principals to be evaluated. And, and one of the, uh, the addition to the standards is around equity and um, um, community uh, cultural awareness is equity mm. and cultural awareness is now a standard. And so uh, that has been adopted uh, by improved by the state. And so now we will evaluate administrators according to those standards. And now the next work switches to the classroom teachers. See, teachers. that is music to my ears because yes, I sir. heard the preliminary part of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much pushback from it. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, this isn't going to go anywhere. Yep. You know? And so, yeah, that, that's fantastic because that, mm-hmm. I mean, listeners, I don't, I don't know if you realize how huge that step is. Yep. That's, that, that's a massive step. So, yes, um, uh, Justine's going to close us out. And with, with the one we ask you is, is going to be the final question on the recording. But I have one more that I really want to ask. Okay. okay? Because, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. So um, when, we're, when we're talking about these guiding principles, right? So seven or six and seven and then 10 and 11, um, what do you say to the very real fact that the Bible actually does have what I'm going to call a, a conservative sexual ethic, okay? Like the Bible actually does have that. Right. Now, 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 I'm not talking about how people misconstrue Sodom and Gomorrah and, and, you know, and, and, that, and that it was, you know, that, that um, the, the fire and brimstone was God's judgment against gay people because that's not what it was. Right. Right. Yep. It was, it was, it was God's condemnation of, of xenophobia. Mm. That's what mm. it was, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is a whole other episode. But Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. so, so. Um, what I'm talking about is kind of the legitimate textual, contextual context of the fact that, okay, there does seem to be a conservative, um, and not politically, but just, you know, kind of, for lack of better language, conservative sexual ethic, sexual ethos um, about relationships in the scriptures. So how would you, like, what's your take on that? Yeah. So I, I, I have tended to lean more toward now uh, un- trying to understand what the Bible uh, means when it talks about being sexually immoral. 
And so I don't think we spend enough time on that particular word, right? Uh, we've seen examples of conservative, uh, hardcore um, believers who have spoke out against certain sexual practices to later be found involved in those things, right? Come on, come on. We've seen that. We know that to be true. And so I think, that, you know, in, in my personal opinion, I believe that um, we need to focus more on what, what the word of God is saying about being sexually immoral. And so one of the things that, you know, I've learned and I actually learned it from my 20 year old daughter is in <laughs> terms of how we over-sexualize uh, uh, women. And, and Come on. And, and, you know, even little girls, you know, um, we over-sexualize things too much. And you have to ask the question, why is the first thought that comes to your mind is in terms of, you know, uh, over-sexualizing uh, girls in terms of what they wear. You know, one of the, one of the um, most discriminatory and uh, inequitable uh, practices that we have in our school system is around the dress code, which is typically addressing um, girls in our building, identify girls wow. uh, in our building. And so uh, why do we have a tendency to, to um, over-sexualize things? And so I think that has a lot to do with, you know, what, <laughs> what Jesus said, you know, if we even look at a woman uh, mm -hmm. in, in terms of having uh, sexual uh, whatever with them, then we have committed adultery without even touching. I mean, without even yeah. touching, no, yeah. you know, no magazine. I'm, I'm going to be, you know, a little like, yeah. you know, descriptive right here. Like, you know, none of those things, you know, social media, Instagram is not there. You're not staring at a video. He said that. 2000 plus years ago. Right. Right. And so I think that in terms of that conservatism is that we need to have a, a deeper conversation in terms of this over sexualizing that we do one of children over sexualizing mm. that we do of, of our, um, of our girls, our black girls specifically. And mm. so, uh, we need to, we need to drill into that a little bit more, you know, even in terms of uh, leadership, for some reason, when you talk about the role of women in leadership, somehow it ends up being in terms of some over-sexualized conversation mm. in terms of, you know, uh, uh, the bodily, uh, the natural bodily rotation of each month is begins to be a conversation. We heard it from one of our former uh, presidents, right? In terms of- uh, Wow, that's right. Um, yeah. Place of authority. And, and many of our conservative people applauded uh, and, and, and applauded the, that phrase, that derogatory phrase. And so- I think a, a, a little more investigation and research and conversation need to be had in terms of, of how we over-sexualize things. And, that, and I think it has a lot to do with what the word of God was speaking in terms of uh, sexual uh, immoral. Yeah, that's good. And man, so the, 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 the piece I think that I, I want to say, just maybe to kind of add to that too, is that, so for me, I've, I've been in a similar place, but I've also been thinking about this phrase, the gospel, <laughs> right? Like how many times do Christians hear the phrase, the gospel? Mm -hmm. And we assume that the gospel is the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, all 66 books, the entire thing. No, the gospel mm -hmm. is about man's corruptible nature. And God's holiness vis-a-vis -vis our corruptible nature and 
the advent and the coming of the of the of the Jesus Christ figure mm-hmm. and the death and burial and resurrection and the belief in the death burial and resurrection for the proof that Jesus was who he said he was which is the son of god the lamb of god god incarnate yeah that's the gospel yeah right everything else is doctrine theology interpretation exposition everything else and so and so what i've been trying to do is let's go back to the owner's manual <laughs> you know let me go read them words in red and see if, right am i really 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 clear on what this dude was talking about mm-hmm. before it gets interpreted by paul now whether paul's interpretation is right or wrong is irrelevant right. it's an interpretation mm-hmm. it's paul's understanding of the scriptures and all that kind of stuff. Now he was a very learned dude in the, in, in, in Hebrew stuff. So I'm not taking anything away from that. All I'm saying is focusing on what exactly did this Jesus dude teach about and do, and how did he interact with people? And what does that mean for how I should be doing the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and so, yeah, that, that to me, as, as I think about just the whole idea of this conservative sexual ethic or whatever actually jesus dealt with that somewhat yeah you know um but then but then there's also again following the hermeneutics you have to also look at those people were also products of their time (laughs) and there were certain practices that were happening and certain things that were happening then that don't happen today or things that happened today that what they weren't that weren't a consideration for the first century, yep. You know, folks, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, and so, I'm just saying, in all of that stuff, in one's biblical scholarship, you have to consider all of that. It's not just like the Bible floated on a cloud, oh, <laughs> and here we go. These these were actual people who lived and went to the bathroom and went to the, and, and had to go eat dinner and you know whatever. So there are also people who even as they were writing that God determines the times and places of our habitation in the exact place we should live. They were sitting in a time and a habitation in an exact place they should live. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so really just kind of thinking about, okay, wait a minute, what does that mean? Mm. This, 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 this sexual ethic and what does, what do the scriptures have to say about that? So yeah, that's kind of a rant, but yeah. No, I'm with you. Very good. I'm with you. Very good. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Jones. And you know, Abdul, as you were talking about the gospel, I thought about um, Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9. Let's get it. it race alone that you have been saved through faith alone. Mm. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that no one can boast. So we're not saved by what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, if that was the case, none of us would be saved. Mm. Right? By yes, grace alone, right. through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yeah. <laughs> Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't believe or agree with that, that's okay. That's all right. Because it's not for us to force on you. That's just mm-hmm. our social location. Yeah, location. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good, man. Soldiers, we are having a blast here. Okay. This has been so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jones. Now, as we wrap up, I just have one final question. Very last one. 
What is one thing that you would want to leave our listeners with from this conversation? And what's one action step that you'd like them to take? Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to what, where I started. And, and that is this, this, this conversation around love. Mm. And, and, you know, I go to, I'm, I'm going to go back to the gospel, Brother Abdul, <laughs> <laughs> where Jesus was asked, you know, which, you know, which, which is the greatest commandment? Mm. And, and Jesus' response was, you know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And then he said, the second one is like unto the first, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Wow. Mm. Now, Paul was a great learner. Paul was a great learner. That's right. <laughs> and what he said in, in Romans, he said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Ooh, ooh, ooh. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Wow. And then he closes like this. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Mm-hmm. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Come on. That's what I would leave our listeners with. Goodness. Oh, my God. So good. Mm. Incredible. Well, that does it for us for now. So, Dr. Jones, once again, if folks want to find you on Twitter or find you on the social media, how do they hit you up on Twitter? Uh, Twitter. Uh, A.D. Jones, 1019. Perfect. You can find me. Yes, sir. Perfect. Thank you all so much for having me on here with you. Brother, thank you so much for being on. I mean, yeah, we could talk for another couple hours because you're you're dropping gems right now. Praise God. Praise God. Yes. And and your your location as being a a man of faith, a person of God, um, an amazing family man, a Bible teacher, a scholar an academic and an equity expert um, just really helps. I think helps us understand the the conversation in my opinion, in the way that it should be understood. So I, I, I greatly appreciate it, you know, and Jesse, what about you? Yes. Oh my, thank you. You know, and as I'm kind of reflecting on on the conversation, Dr. Jones, I, um, you know, like in addition to your expertise and your love for Christ, I just really appreciate your demeanor. You know, like you're very, you know, like you're cool, you're calm and you're collected. And I think that is just such a proof of your confidence um, in what is going on. And so thank you for all the amazing mm. gems that you've brought to our episode today. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, man. Sister. See, we're going to go. Okay. Now I got to say this part <laughs> <laughs> and, and only to say this because yes, Dr. Jones's cool and calm and collected demeanor is very, very interesting. And so he, I, he, knows what he's, he knows what I'm about to say. That because we've been in this community for so long, yep. folks love to juxtapose me as the hothead and him as the cool dude. Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So, so, so the things that Dr. Jones can say because he says it the way that he does mm-hmm. is more received, even if we're saying the exact same word. Same thing. Yep. If we're yep. saying the exact same word, I keep hitting mm-hmm. my mic. But mm-hmm. if we're saying the exact same words yep. and I say it in my tone and he says it in his, in his mm-hmm. what white supremacy does is say, oh, wait, I can't hear him because he's yelling or he's off the chain or he's whatever. But, right. oh, Dr. Jones, that's so insightful. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what because, did I tell you? 
What did I tell you? <laughs> yep, you did. Got to take the airplane. Got to put the little baby food. Uh, <laughs> mix the green peas. Right, right. Peaches. Right. <laughs> Make yeah. airplane noises. Yeah. Get them to uh, eat the food, Abdul. <laughs> yes, but you know what though, and 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 the way, really, the way that you communicate it is is really it it is. I mean, it's just it does it does reflect the peaceful heart. You know, right. and so I certainly appreciate that about you. One of the things, one of the things I've always appreciated about you yes. is, you know, I get off the chain. <laughs> so That's why we have to roll together, right? <laughs> right. We have to roll like a village. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. Well, that does it for us for now. We want to give a very special thanks to Dr. Anthony Jones for joining us on this episode and lending his time and expertise. As always. If you like the show and the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, we'd love it if you rate the podcast, subscribe, drop us a review, and most importantly, share it with somebody. This helps us climb in the podcast rankings and help people find us to join our growing community. We can always use more soldiers. Also, if you have any questions about anything we covered on this episode, um, if you want to suggest future podcast ideas, or just want to reach out, or if you want to ask some follow-up questions for Dr. Jones, you can become a member on our Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier, or email us at hello at Christian soldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. And I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all keep the faith. Peace. Amani. And for our brother Andres, pass. <laughs> the Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. The theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development. 